What's up, Wonderland? Welcome back. I am so excited to be back podcasting with you, and I'm going to keep this intro super short and sweet to get into today's episode. It's so good. I'm so happy to introduce you guys to this person who I actually met here in Detroit in person. We spoke at the same conference, Goddess on the Go, here. And yeah, she's super cool and is going to blow your mind with her knowledge. And she's actually having a summit that we should all totally sign up for. It is called the Sex and Medicine Summit. And it's completely free, and over 20 experts have come together to share the next in integrative medicine and human sexuality. So this is the kind of interviews that you're just not going to hear anywhere else. And today, that's what we're talking about, sex and medicine and human sexuality and different practices to awaken your femininity and your sexuality. So I am super thrilled for you guys to hear today's episode. And if you like it, if you find it intriguing, even in the slightest bit, I highly suggest signing up for her free summit. I mean, it's free, so you might as well just sign up. There's going to be a live link to it on my site in the show notes, obviously, but also now if you're on iTunes listening, which most of you probably are, It will also be in the description below on YouTube if you happen to be listening there. But on iTunes, if you guys click the info box, you know, on your phone or whatever you're listening on, you can have a live link right in there where you can click to this summit. So, yeah, check it out. It starts um, March 24th through 29th. However, when you're listening to this, regardless, feel free to check it out because I'm sure there'll still be information on it. So, all right, I will talk to you guys soon in the episode and have an amazing week. And, you know, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened and who's donated to the show and who tweeted about the show or shared the show with a friend or family member. Thank you, guys. It means so much to me. And I have so much great content for you guys. I have literally 21 recorded episodes on my computer right now. I'm looking at them. They're all amazing, amazing experts and people and friends that I cannot wait to share with you. I just can't pump these out fast enough. So bear with me and hopefully we'll have more episodes soon. But until then, you know, make sure you're on my email list. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes and the description box as well. So make sure you're on my email list so you can get the, the latest episodes because they are about once a month now. Um, the new episodes coming out about once a month. However, I do hope to get back to every other week or eventually once a week pretty soon. So just, you know, bear with me while episodes are a bit more sporadic right now. But, you know, I am sharing a ton of content on the blog, on my email list, and videos on YouTube. I love making videos, so follow me on YouTube and hopefully you'll like those too. So tell me what you guys want to see more of from me. I'm happy to just give you guys the content from the Wellness Wonderland that you like the best, you know, if that's videos, if that's podcasts, if that's written posts, let me know. And there's just so many exciting things happening with me here in Wonderland that I will be sharing with you guys super soon. So enjoy today's episode. Let me know if you have questions. It's a 
great one. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye. Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. I have a super groovy guest in Wonderland today, Anita Teresa, who is an integrative health and sexuality educator, visual and performance artist, and founder of the Embodied Femme is here in Wonderland. She provides group and private sessions that I have participated in both of, and she's wonderful, in mind-body therapies and sexuality integration training for health and vitality. She spent 10 years studying and training with various renowned masters of feminine-centered traditions and has been working in the field of alternative healing since 1999. In 2013, she appeared on the Dr. Oz show and has been interviewed in tons of other places where she shares her expertise on vitalizing practices of sexual well-being so thank you so much for stopping by wonderland anita and i'm so excited to chat with you me too i love wonderland already (laughs) yay yeah it's gonna be a blast um so we met a couple months ago when you were in town and gave a, a killer lecture at a workshop and you have this energy about you and I'm sure you're probably smiling right now because you hear that all the time right you have this certain energy and this certain ease about you and what I found out after hearing you speak was that it's sexual energy and it's your feminine energy that you're really tapped into so I would love if we you know we'll of course get into that obviously that's what people want to hear but I would really like to hear and I'm really curious about zooming the lens back of it and starting with your story about how you came to this work and who is the Anita before you found this work and how did you change and and find it Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't always this way, but I was always this way, and I just didn't know it. Right. <laughs> or I knew that, I mean, I grew up being a very, um, I would say I'm, I'm a very sensual person by nature, and <clears throat> also an, a visual artist, so I, I love, like, using my senses to experience the world. And But I grew up in a family that was very intellectual, very academic, um, I also grew up primarily with a single mom who was a um, born again Christian, and you know was surrounded by that subculture of the the Christian um, worldview, which is very much like as we all know, it's it's there are certain challenges around the integration of sexuality into that picture in a way that is um, empowering. At least I found it very challenging. It was like, sex is not okay until you get married and then suddenly it's great. And um, so you're supposed to repress your desires until you get married. So I was um, I was on that track and I really thought I would remain a virgin literally until I got married and that um, 
ended up being less and less plausible for me until I just kind of erupted one day and, um, and I didn't have any tools. I didn't have the skills or the awareness around my body and my sexuality to guide me through the process of really owning myself, owning my desires. I just had so much shame and fear, um, a lot of fear of men and fear of intimacy and um, very, very few skills to really navigate that world. And, and over time, I started to study yoga. I, I found yoga when I was living in Texas, actually, and working as a social worker. And I just immediately, it felt so natural to me. And I've always danced. So getting into my body that way was very, very easy and felt really good. And I just kept exploring dance. And I went deeper and deeper into dance. And that brought me to New York, where I found... Um, a master teacher. Her name is Dunya McPherson. And Dunya was a Juilliard-trained ballerina. And she was she danced with all the greats in the 70s and the 80s. And, and then she got injured and went through a whole healing process, found a Sufi master from Iraq, and began her own process of, of going deeply into the body through meditative practices. And not just yoga, but also Sufi dance, a lot of the ritual dances and things that induce trance specifically, movements, repetitive movements for long, long periods of time. So I ended up studying with her for four years very intensively. And those that period of time was really foundational for everything I do now and was set the stage for really deeply knowing my body from the inside out in in a way that nothing else really could have done for me because we we would spend we would go away and spend two weeks in deep meditation all through dance with very little words she taught through her body and it was all really through transmission so that's where I learned to cultivate presence and cultivate this listening to the body that went beyond the mental realm really was like precognitive um, awareness and deep primordial connection to the body, to what I call the soma, um, which is like the dream body, the body that kind of we, for- we forget about in our modern world. Um, so through that process, I began to really tap into my sexuality in a new way I started to study Tantra. I started to explore Taoist um, Qigong for women. I started to learn specific practices that had to do with recycling sexual energy. So that's how I got to where I am now. Um, It was through dance, really. It was through being curious and discovering the wonder, the wonderland of the interior world, the inner landscape that the body provides and and the intelligence of the body. I love that. So what would you say to someone who perhaps is feeling very disconnected from their sexual energy and from their body? How would you have them get started? I think there's very simple ways to do that, just slowing down to take time. I mean, there are specific practices that 
that I could offer, but one of them is to take time to dance, especially for women. Um, dancing is something that connects you to your body like no other kind of movement. Not even Pilates, not yoga, not you know working out in the gym or doing spin class. Dance, in particular, it has a way of opening up sexual energy. And it's it's if you look back at the history of yoga, it started you know thousands of years ago by Brahmin priests. It was a male tradition. It was only practiced by men. Women were not even allowed to study the sutras or practice the, the asanas. Um, and the, but the feminine tra- parallel tradition, the, the tantric tradition, the Dakini um, lineage, was spiritual. Was a spiritual path through dance. That's that, so interesting. That's the form that it took. It wasn't yoga. It was, and there were yoginis, you know, here and there, but they were ex- the exception. Really, the practitioners of the feminine spiritual path, at least in in India, were dancers, and you can see that in many parts of the world as well. Geishas were like that. The priestess tradition in Mesopotamia and ancient Greece and Phoenicia, they were all dancers. So I think there's something very key about, you know, find a genre that really wakes up your sexual energy. And I have to say ballet is probably not going to do that for you. <laughs> ballet is another masculine tradition that was came out of martial arts, actually. Um, court, court dancing and, and martial arts. And I think things that are curvilinear, like belly dance, is a great way to start. Mm. So belly dance would be a great way even someone who is like I said not feeling connected with their body or their sexuality but also not feeling maybe not a a dancer like they're not that's not something that they they do would you say that belly dancing is a really good way to get started even if they're not they like I said don't consider themselves a dancer is it doable for them totally yeah I think beginning level belly dance classes are so accessible mostly because the movements are totally natural for a woman's body. Women's bodies have, our hips are wider than men's hips. Our pelvises are lower than men's pelvises. We have more curvature in the lower spine. And that's all designed by nature for childbirth. Belly dance was created really, I mean, it's one of the old, it's the oldest dance pretty much in the world. And it was, it was, created or cultivated by women who um, found that the movements were helping with childbirth and also helping with fertility. So one of the teachers I studied with in New York, a belly dance teacher, Sarah Solstice, she was teaching class every day for, you know, three hours a day or whatever. She was performing and she got pregnant. She's like, I just want to warn you, everybody, if you do belly dance, you're going to get more fertile. And, um, and she, her first child, she danced all the way up to the very la- like the last week before she gave birth, and her labor was three hours long, and she, you know, had a very quick birth. Um, the second child was the same way, and she really credits that to belly dance because it tones all of those muscles in the pelvic floor and the lower abdominal region that are used for um, childbirth, and even if for those listening who really, you know, maybe you're not wanting to have kids or maybe you already had children it's um it does 
tone and circulate all the sexual organs in the pelvic area, which are so important to keep um, keep that circulation going. And belly dance specifically targets that area. Mm, so good. It makes me want to get up and go take a belly dancing class. <laughs> um, so why is, and obviously um, it is, but I would love for you to talk about your perspective of why tuning into your femininity and your sexual energy is so important in all areas of your life? Mm. It's a big question, I know. Yeah, well, I think it does affect every other area of life because it's the source of creativity. And it's it's the, the most the primal source of our creative essence as human beings. It's where we came from. It's how we got here is through sex and sexual energy. And we wouldn't be here if our parents hadn't had sex if there hadn't been inception, if there hadn't been um, embryogenesis, which is just the process of creation happening over and over and over and over again through cellular, you know, cellular division. So it, that process is always going on in our bodies. That embryological um, embryogenesis, really, that the essence of it is cells dividing, cells dividing, cells dividing, replicating, multiplying. That's happening in our body all the time, whether we're 80 years old or five years old. And the Taoist tradition in particular tuned in and they tapped into that natural ability of the body to replenish itself and to stay youthful. And they maximized on that sexual energy. They developed all these techniques to to kind of harness and harvest that sexual energy and replenish recycle it through their body and pack it back into their organs so that they would have vital um, their vital organs would be replenished would be strong immune to disease and not break down the way that the aging process can can cause so it affects your health very directly it affects women's hormones it affects your mood it affects your emotions it affects your relationships it affects your um, for me, my when I started deliberately cultivating my sexual energy, my creativity went through the roof. And the year that I really was devoting myself to it, um, every day I did my practice for six months in a row, I, um, I ended up painting a whole bunch of paintings. I made like 11 paintings that year. Also, my income increased because I got a, a raise at my job, and it was very specific to the fact that I'd been doing these practices. And I say that because the director of the program where I was working approached me and said, you know, we really like you. We, you're comfortable in your body and you're, you're easy to be around and you're clearly friends with your body. And we want someone, I was working in the hospital and she said, we want someone like you to be working with patients. And just write up your your ideal job description, send it to me, and we're going to double your income. And it just happened like that. And it, it, I didn't so cool. into it. It's not like I was, you know, vying for a position with someone else. It was just, it just happened very naturally. So there are a lot of implications for doing this deliberately and taking the, taking ownership of your sexual energy is literally taking ownership of your life. Mm. 
That's the tweetable. I love that. Um, so you said there, you know, you listed off a lot of the, the places, the areas of life that it affects. Um, and you, you mentioned relationships. And I participated, for everyone listening, in one of Anita's courses. And she did an entire week on relationships. And that was probably my favorite week, Anita. I, I really, really enjoyed that one. And so I was wondering if you could um, – and in that, I was going to say episode, but in that um, class, you discussed each chakra and how there's masculine chakras and feminine chakras. And you went into a lot of details um, about relationships that were just so, um, like, mind-blowing to me and just so – shifted so much in me. And I just really, really appreciated that episode. So – you probably won't be able to go into nearly as much detail, but I was wondering if you could talk about a couple of those things um, for the listeners when it comes to relationships and the polarity between masculine and feminine and sexual energy. Yeah, I think this is an interesting topic for our times now um, because there's so much confusion around gender and the role of men and women. And yeah, so this, you know, this may not be for everyone, but what I've found. I think especially too, sorry to interrupt you, but in my generation and a lot of the younger listeners listening, um, it's different than what we were brought up with. And it's just really good to hear, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the basic message that I learned from, it's from the tradition of Raja Tantra, which is Royal, Royal Tantra. It's, um, also known as white Tantra. So the art of relationships from a very high level perspective of what actually what actually creates exchange of energy between the masculine and the feminine polarities and this can apply to you know applies to each individual within yourself there's the masculine and feminine qualities and energies the yin and the yang and then in our relationships so if you're if you're a woman in your relationship with a man, there's going to be an exchange of energy to create a harmonious and synergistic relationship. There needs to be an open flow of this giving and receiving from different levels in order for there to be that kind of um, really healthy and integrated relationship that actually works. And what I see a lot of times in modern culture is Men are becoming women. Men are becoming feminized. Women are becoming more masculine. They're trying to do everything. And women have to learn to receive and relax and soften. Not that it's not about passivity or becoming resigned and becoming a doormat at all. It's actually the opposite. It's relaxing into our power as women, which feminine energy is ultimately a very receptive energy it's it's all about like receive the ocean the ocean receives all the waters from the rivers of the earth into her you know embrace and that's the, the female body is set up that way too we are the receivers physically for the sperm and for the man's body so it's it's just basically on a high level the principle of nature how things, the give and take, and how important that is. A lot of times women also fall into the trap of over-giving, and I definitely have been guilty of that too, 
where we just overgive and we care to caretake and give so much to our partners and then they have no space to give to us and we're actually taking on a more masculine role and depleting ourselves, burning ourselves out and, and then feminizing the man and then being resentful about it. So that there's much more to say about that. And that's one of the principles you could extract from Royal Tantra. But is there anything else specifically you want me to talk about? Yeah. Um, no, that was really good. And there's so many things that you could talk about because you address so many things in that particular lecture. But one of the things that I'd like you to um, highlight, if you would, would be about um, like the, I forget what chakra it was, but about pay, paying like um, and money and like how the man is the one who is meant to be the the earner and the the woman is uses her gifts in a different way. Could you talk about that a little bit? Okay. So um the the basically in the system of royal tantra each chakra has either feminine or masculine um predominant qualities. So there are three feminine, three masculine, and then one that's neutral, which is the seventh chakra. And the exchange between the levels of the second chakra, which is Vahistana, the, the, the sexual center, the, the source or the foundation of sexual energy, and the, and the, the foundation of, of feminine essence, really, for a woman, um, in relation with the third chakra is a very interesting dynamic because there's been so much contention around it and difficulty. But in this system, ideally what happens is in the exchange between a a man and a woman, she's giving him sexual energy. And that doesn't have to just mean sex. It actually means her energy is like a, a warm bath that nurtures and nourishes him, inspires him and gives him energy to go out and do his work in the world. And it may sound very conventional, but actually there's a principle inside of it that's very profound, and it may look different for each couple, but essentially by by us having an open second chakra, it's like we're literally pouring life force energy into the environment where we're in. A man is not... That pre- their predominant chakra that they're operating from in an ideal situation is the third chakra, which is has to do with vitality, confidence, courage, a career, the material realm of money, the resources. And, um, of course, we all want every chakra to be open in ourselves. You know, I, that's kind of the, the end game for each of us is to, to have that. But in, in the terms of a of a relationship for a man to value the woman's sexual energy usually looks like he's excited and, and eager to provide something in the material realm for her. That may look like money. It may look like gifts. It may look like taking her to dinner. It may like, like look like picking her up in his car and driving her places. There's a lot of ways it can look, but something in the physical material realm that corresponds to um, or relates to money in some way is a very natural, organic expression of that energy. And for uh, when a woman is blocked in a second chakra, often there's a a man doesn't have a 
he doesn't feel inspired. He feels like she's, there's a dryness. There's kind of a, there's usually shame. There's something that then blocks him from wanting to give and vice versa. So a, a woman who is very open second chakra, who's, you know, relating or connecting with a man who has a blocked third chakra is a man who's stingy, does not want to pay for dinner. He doesn't want to really give very much. He's doesn't, he, and we've all probably experienced men like that where yeah. it's, it's a turnoff. It's like something literally just turns off in my body that I find that very unappealing. It's one thing if it's a friend, but if it's a man who is interested in me and showing interest in a romantic way, as a man to woman, um, it's there. There's actually a very organic flow of energy, and we just—I think—we just have to allow that more and value what we're giving just by our presence. When a woman has an open second chakra, it's a gift to be in her presence, whether you're a man or a woman. And for a man, he's actually receiving energy, even if it's not on the material plane, he's receiving something from the woman. And that's that's valuable. And it should there should be a reciprocity in that. So Yeah, that was like one of my favorite things that you discussed in that lecture. And you even said and I'm you're gonna have to help me here because you'll be able to explain it better than I will, but basically in this tradition when the woman is the breadwinner of the relationship, there can't be sexual energy. Do you, do you remember that part that I, I'm... It'll be very challenging for that couple to have a strong polarity. It will, it will be a different kind of polarity, and he will assume more of a feminine role, and there won't, she'll actually be harboring resentment. Even if a woman is not willing to admit that, it's very common that, you know, Erica Badu sings about this. There's a song that she wrote, I can't remember the name, that she's like, you can't live on me anymore. You got to get a job. <laughs> like, I don't care if I'm rich. I don't care if I'm a millionaire. You're still going to pay for my dinner tonight. Yeah. yeah. That, that attitude is not, I don't think that's entitlement. I think it's about valuing yourself as a woman and drawing in men that actually value and appreciate you and show that by in ways that they can and the attitude it ultimately boils down to generosity if a man shows attributes of generosity there will be more likely to be a polarity if he's not willing to share his resources then he's not the right man he just won't he cannot value them he doesn't know the value of sexual energy yeah yeah it's like with any with anything, you know, it's like an exchange of value. You know, if you're hiring a coach, for example, like what's the difference between a coaching relationship and like a friendship? Well, it's the exchange of money and the exchange of value and you'll you'll put in more of an effort doing that work, that mental work when you're working with a coach if you've given money and you've said I value this in exchange for money since we just made up money as humans anyways you know it's just the way that we exchange value and I think it's kind of the same thing in a relationship not that you're like indebted to someone because they buy you dinner but it's you see they see the value in you you see the value in them and it's just an exchange of of energy and and I just I really liked that so thank you for explaining that Mm -hmm. sure 
Um, so the next thing I would love to dive into a little bit is the new feminine paradigm. Could you talk about what that is and why it's so important? Sure. I love this topic. <laughs> I could talk about it forever. So I think there are um, probably about five major aspects of the new feminine paradigm. And what I see emerging in our time right now is a return to body, body-centric spirituality. Instead of thinking of the spirit as above the body and the body is low, lower and um, less than, actually embracing the body and saying, no, this is part of our spiritual development and training is to go into the body and actually inhabit our bodies. So it's, it's the return to embodiment, actually, which is one of the hallmarks of the new feminine paradigm. And another hallmark is the honoring of our sexuality. The, the domain, the sexuality and sensuality is the domain of the feminine. It's not, you know, women have an abundance of sexual energy. We, we are the more sexual being because we give birth. That's, I mean, that, that's something that distinguishes us from men. That's our gift. That's like what, that's what distinguishes being a woman in many ways. Even if you never give birth, do you have the potential to give life? So that return to honoring this, the, the sexual realm and all that that means, all that that includes, it's a return to pleasure. It's saying, okay, I think we're done with the, the paradigm of sacrifice. And that's been a very big part of the patriarchal culture is you have to sacrifice in order to get anywhere in life. You have to work hard until you bleed. You have to um, go out and battle. And there's something great about that. I don't want to say there's that it isn't good or isn't is bad or good it's just that's just one part of of that's one way of going about things and the feminine way is not about battling and working to the bone and sacrificing and killing off you know killing off pleasure it's about embracing pleasure as a way of life it's saying in pleasure is so much wisdom in pleasure is where we find who we are and our purpose. It's what gives us information about our, our souls and our bodies and, and what it means to be human. Um, so I think we're, we're returning slowly but surely to that embracing of the body, embracing of pleasure in a healthy way and of sensuality. Um, another hallmark of the new feminine paradigm is a return to, to feminine leadership. And it's not to say that men shouldn't be leading at all. It's just saying women need to step up. Women are stepping up and starting to reclaim our full range of power and contribute to the world in a way that will reshape the economy, reshape politics, reshape business and culture, and also our religious institutions. So we're going to see a lot more female-headed businesses. We already see an explosion of the female entrepreneur. We already see women all over the world, like all over Africa. If you read specialized articles and certain publications, you can find amazing 
stuff about women in Africa who are just rocking it. You know, they're creating new businesses left and right. They're revitalizing all the local economies. They are not waiting around for anyone to give them permission. And they're just doing it. And um, innovating technology, innovating um, even childcare, schooling, education. So I think we're seeing the resurgence of women in the public life. For so long, you know, women have been kept out of really contributing to the structures of society. And now we're seeing women being like, hey, well, we need to change something because this is not working. We're stretching our resources too thin. Too many people are being left out of the economy. 1% of the world's population is holding 90% of the wealth. This is not working. So the feminine economy is about a sharing, sharing economy. It's about gifting economy it's about let's let's include as many people as possible and not exclude the majority let's find ways to collaborate so it, it's definitely based on collaboration connection leadership by consensus as opposed to force and and returning uh the feminine spiritual authority to its rightful place so in ancient times there were always shamans who were women and there were priestesses who led the community into um, the devotional aspect of life through their bodies, through their sexuality, and it was all integrated. There was no separation between body and spirit. There was no separation between sexuality and the sacred or the spirit. And now we're slowly going back to um, revive those traditions and reinvent them in a contemporary way that looks like what our time now needs. And it's not, in, it's not in opposition to men or to the masculine. It's in harmony with the masculine. It's saying, let's, look, let's just bring it into balance. So those are the main pillars of the new feminine paradigm. I love that. that. You've probably heard this, but I think that the Dalai Lama said recently that the Western woman will be the one that saves the world. Have you heard that, Anita? Yeah. And and I think that really speaks to the the feminine, the new feminine paradigm. I'd love your thoughts on that. I I think it's a provocative saying. I mean, I, I don't think it's just the Western woman. I think Western women are in a unique position to lead a lot of things because we do at this point have access to a lot of resources and we have leveraging power. We have knowledge at our fingertips. Um, but I don't think it's only the Western women. I, I think definitely there are incredible women leaders all over the world that are popping up. If you look at Malala, like the Pakistani girl who was the Nobel Peace Prize nominee and, um, you know, who is just incredible spokeswoman for education for women and girls and and ending violence against women in India, you can see all these movements happening, the Gulabi gangs, which are women just getting together and basically roving the streets and beating up rapists. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like they're wearing pink saris, they have clubs and they're on call. They're vigilantes and they're just taking the streets back. Cause that there's is been so cool. such, yeah. And they're just like enough. We're not going to deal. We're not going to put up with any more rapes in the street on the buses, on universities or hospitals, enough. And there's hundreds of these gangs of women 
roaming the streets, and anytime they get a distress call, they go and they beat the crap out of some guy that's misbehaving. And they're finally getting the message through that it's, you know, violence against women is just not okay and it never will be. And no one's going to get away with it anymore. Um, so I think, I think it's just women in general have to like keep empowering each other and seeing each other in the best way, best light and calling forth our genius and our brilliance and our, and our power. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So to you, Anita, what does being sexually free mean? I think it means being totally in love with your body in every way, being radically approving of every part of your body as it is without anything taken away or added. Um, I think it's about reveling in sensation and loving being a sexual being and that could look like with one partner it could look like being with your just yourself it could be with multiple partners that part is kind of secondary to me it's the primary relationship you have with your own body with the animal that we are the mammal that we really are being totally accepting of the mammal and like this is this is our primal roots it's if you track it in the brain in the nervous system the the limbic brain and the amygdala are like the primal part of the brain and that's where we have these fight or flight responses where we have our primal drives like i need to eat i need to have sex i need to go to the bathroom those things like have been so shamed for whatever reason in our culture that it's like lower and it's down there and it's dirty and instead of perpetuating that I think we should celebrate it and when we choose to do that it becomes an act of liberation that to me is sexually free someone that's like I am in love with my body I love that yeah that's the best definition of that ever so good so someone listening who wants that who wants that love for their, their body and that sexual freedom I would love to give our listeners three action items that people listening today or tomorrow morning can take to tap into their unique feminine sexual energy and feel more sexually expressed Mm -hmm. well i think a big one is is self-exploration i really advocate for girls and women to self-stimulate self-pleasure take time to take a bath and or a shower or time in your own bedroom to explore sensation and it's not just localized to just your clitoris or just labia it's like your whole body is an erogenous zone it's a it's a map of the world the landscape that is capable of tremendous pleasure if we just give ourselves permission really so it's like take time to set apart you know that you're going to visit your permission playground and you're going to take time to explore touching yourself in a very um, loving way. In a you know, explore different kinds of oils, um, different textures. You know, t- a lot of times in in masturbation, um, we're all very goal oriented. If you know, if at all, it's like just want to get off. That's it. But taking time to explore and vary, vary what you try out, you will 
vastly increase your repertoire of your of knowledge of your own body, what you like. And it, you know, really a woman who knows her body is the best lover. So for women who feel insecure around their sexuality and especially with in relation to a partner, it's like the more you get to know your body, the the more comfortable and confident you'll be as a lover. They go hand in hand. The more you'll be able to relax and receive and feel sensation in a much deeper way. So that's one thing is take time to masturbate. It's really important. Yeah. It's yeah. very actually it's very healthy in so many ways, whether you're single or in a relationship, a lot of times women just rely entirely on their partner and they're frustrated. They're not getting exactly what they want, but you have to take time to do that for yourself too and cultivate that repertoire. Um, another thing I recommend is do a movement practice every day. I don't mean doing reps at the gym or lifting weights. It's really tapping in consciously through your movement, whether that's doing asanas or dancing or doing qigong or even just standing in your room and doing a hundred hip, hip circles you know doing a hundred hip circles to the left and a hundred hip circles to the right every single morning you would be astounded at what that will give you that's what i do now <laughs> you. <laughs> it, and so i'm curious how that's affected your relationship to your body if you want to talk about that a little bit yeah i mean i think it's I don't know. I don't know if I haven't been doing it long enough, but I enjoy it and I feel like it's um I feel like it's good for me to just connect into my body first thing in the morning in that simple feminine way, you know, of just putting on a song and and moving and dancing and and just the consistency of that. So that's mm-hmm. that's what's happened so far, but I guess it hasn't been too long. So we'll see. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what doors are going to open for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So movement. I would say you know definitely take. If we're going to do three action items, it would be um, cultivate a, a masturbation practice, like self self pleasuring, self love practice. Do movement every day, and the third is also um, look looking at nutrition. Nu- Ways you can nourish your body through food and specifically um, balance your hormones and increase libido and really work with with the level of of the hormones, the endocrine system, through foods and supplements and herbs. And I'm happy to send over a guide. You know, I have like a PDF of all those things that I can, you could share with your audience. Oh, right. Um, Because that, you know, knowing that things like, manganese is a really important mineral for women's reproductive system. If you know that, then you can look next time you go to the grocery store, store, you can buy a vegetable that has high level of manganese, which is kale. Kale has a lot of manganese. So does pumpkin seeds, um, macadamia nuts, cashews. So there, there are a lot of things you can do to really enhance that connection to your sexual energy through the hormones. Yeah, and there's this tea that Anita got me drinking called Female Joy Tea that um, <laughs> I'll put in the in the show notes as well. Can you talk about the benefits of that too? Well, I just love that tea because it's such a funny name and it's <laughs> it really does lead to joy. But uh, <laughs> a lot of those herbs actually increase libido and increase lubrication. 
Um, and I wrote in a little blog post about this that it's important to stay lubricated. It's I used to think it was really weird, and like growing up, I would always feel ashamed of like any wetness. You know, just thought, oh my gosh, like this is gross. But now I really have to say, it's to me, it's a sign of health. Um, I feel very sexy. I feel very womanly when I'm when I'm moist, when I'm lubricated. And it doesn't have to mean I'm turned on by a man or something. It's just the body is, it just means the body is um, working at optimal level. It's, it's ready. It's fertile. It's excited. It's alive. And that just, this feels really, really good to be in that state. It's like, I can then use that energy toward my creative projects. And it, it's very pleasurable to work that way. That's how I believe women are designed to actually work, quote unquote, and create in the world is through that very pleasurable, um, like we're constantly, you know, birthing these things in, a, in an almost like orgasmic energy state. That is like a subtle bliss. Um, that would be my vision for every woman on this planet is to get to that state and to learn how to dance in that state of bliss all the time because that's our I believe that's our birthright yeah yeah such good tips I love that that'll definitely get people started and then they can check out the rest of your work for sure so now I want to ask my signature questions and shift to you and your personal journey so the first question I want to ask is you do so many things and you're um, such a passionate person with um, many hats. You know, you're an artist and you're also a, a coach and a speaker and and a dancer. And I would love if you could explain what you do to stay grounded and to stay present and to show up fully for all of the different areas of your life, your business, your relationships, your projects. I think I've, I've created a very strong meditation practice and that's very grounding for me. I do my practices, my movement practices in the morning. And then I also have a seated meditation practice and just getting into a tuning into that space of complete primordial awareness, um, is very grounding. And then I, I've over the years, I've lived in New York for almost 10 years. I've really found surrounded myself with high caliber people. You know, I have an incredible community here and it's taken time to really um, develop that. But I'd say I have a lot of support from the people in my life and that has made it all the difference because anyone who, you know, you know, cause you're, you're going in that path of being an entrepreneur yourself, that it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of courage. It takes constant, persistent effort to, um, to put your work out in the world. And if I, I don't think I could do it without my friends, honestly, I, they're my, my community, my family. Um, we're always encouraging each other. We're always cheering each other on. And, um, and my, my blood family has also been very supportive and keeps me grounded because I, I do visit them every every two or three months so that also keeps me grounded um and i try to get plenty of rest like i really 
do my best to take care of my body and keep myself healthy. <laughs> and that, that alone, just getting enough rest. If I need to lie down and take a nap, I will lie down and take a nap. I won't push through and force myself when I'm feeling really low energy. I'll just lie down. And um, I've learned to trust that rhythm of my body. And that gives me a lot of, um, it gives me, it gives me a power because I trust myself to just know that it's going to be okay. Like whatever I'm doing is working and it'll continue to work. I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that community, whether it's your, the one you create for yourself or the one that you're born with, just having that is so crucial for, for everyone, regardless of, of what they do. And I've been finding that more and more in my own life and leaning on that support has been really, really awesome. Um, so my next signature question that I ask everyone is perfect for you. Can you walk us through your morning routine and some of the specifics you do to start your day? So maybe like the first few things you do when you wake up and why starting your day that way is important for how the rest of your day goes. Hmm. Okay. So when I first wake up, I, um, I like to have a glass of water, like an eight ounce glass of water and take my time to really drink it. And then, um, I will, I've gotten into the habit of rolling on balls. (laughs) So I like to get in my body as soon as I can out of, out of bed and I'll roll on a foam roller and, or on a Yamuna balls. And that just helps loosen up the tension of the night in my body. And then, um, I'll either do my sitting meditation practice or I'll go for a run in the park. And just getting fresh air in my lungs is really gets my system going, my mind like really sharp and clear. And I find that the combination with um, days that I do longer practice where I really stretch out my muscles, I do qigong, um, do my feminine practices, and then I go for a run is like those days are superb. (laughs) They're just superb. Um, And then I'll... I make a really nice, huge breakfast with a lot of protein, um, green tea, um, and I'll get to work. I'll start making calls or writing, um, you know, setting about doing what I, what I got to do or, you know, working with a client if I have somebody scheduled. So I don't know if I answered your question. I feel like there was another part of your question, but I... (laughs) No, you you got it all. You got it all there. And how it affects the rest of your day is just that you always have a better day when you get the more you get in of that morning practice. So that was what I was expecting you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So now I'd love to the other end of that coin is the evening. So could you walk us through some of your evening rituals and some of the things you do in the evening um, to wind down and relax and kind of wash the day off you before you go to sleep? Well, I don't. I wouldn't say I have an evening ritual, but that I do consistently. But something I do every so every maybe like once a week, and more frequently as the weather gets cold, is I will do a medicinal bath, and that is uh, it's where I feel like every cell in my body gets replenished, and I basically just you know draw a hot bath. I put um, I'll put teas in there. I'll put essential oils in there. Salt. Um, hydrogen peroxide or baking soda sometimes, oats, 
lots of different options that I'll use for a medicinal bath depending on what's going on. If do I feel achy, then I'll put in ginger. If I feel fatigue, then I'll put in geranium. There's just a lot of different things I can cool. use cool. it for. So that's that's often what I'll do to in the evening to really um, totally clear myself, also energetically from debris and from the week's um, happenings. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That I didn't know that you could put all of that stuff into the bathtub. I usually just thought of like sea salt and Epsom salt, and but that's cool that there's so many medicinal things that you can add to a bath. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Yeah. So where do you hear your intuition voice the loudest, and how do you remind yourself to follow that voice? Hmm. Where do I feel it or how or when or? Yeah, just like how and, and when. Either way. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I think, I think of intuition as a, a field that I can tap into in my body. It's like an it's a presence. It's a, an intelligence. And um, sometimes it occurs to me like a voice. Sometimes it occurs to me more like a deep feeling, a sense in my body. Other times it'll be a very loud scream, <laughs> you know, like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of it is tied into emotion and not just reactive emotion necessarily, but a, a very refined, um, subtle, emotional awareness. And the more that I tune into what my body sensation is telling me, that's usually where the truth lies for me. So if, for example, I'm about, I need to make a decision whether I'm going to go to this evening event or spend time with some other person, tuning in to what my body is saying okay, let me think about going to this event. How does my body feel? Is my body contracting? Is my body expanding? Is there like a yes in my body, in my system, or is there a no? And the more that I'm just willing to be honest, and regardless of what I think the consequences are, to follow that gut (laughs) impulse, the instinct Um, the instinctual knowledge that's there that's communicating to me, the better the results always are. Always, it's always on target. Um, When I choose to ignore it, it's like, ugh, you know, I regret often. Yeah. So. I think we can all relate to that where you kick yourself and you're like, I knew it, you know, it's that inner knowing, right? Where you, you know it, but so often we go with our intellect instead of our intuition and our intuition as females is really strong that's something else I've learned from from Anita we have a a stronger intuition than males even and they even depend on us for our intuition so um anyways just just something to to think about too which I really loved the way you explained that with your example so now I want to do some quick fire questions. You ready for them? Yeah. Okay. Favorite color? Green. Favorite yoga pose? Mm. I think downward dog. Favorite day of the week? 
Wednesday. <laughs> Every day, actually. <laughs> Favorite hour of the day? Noon. Favorite vegetable? Kale. Favorite fruit? Pomegranates. Where do you see holistic wellness and women's sexuality in, say, 10 years? And where would you like to see it? I see it as being very, very much part of the conversation. Um, A a much bigger part of the conversation than it is now. (coughs) I think it might even be at the forefront of the conversation. Um, And I'd like it to be there. I I think... um, Excuse me. I think it's moving that direction already. And people like um, Christian Northrup and many other leaders for women's health and holistic health are making sure that that's happening. And I'm also doing my best to make, make sure that that happens. Yeah. And I think just having conversations like this is, is helpful, opening up people to it. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Um, so I'm really, really excited about this, the main project that I'm working on, which is a summit on sex and health. And I'm actually calling it the sex and medicine summit, but essentially it's gathering about 20 experts from around the world in medicine, psychology, um, midwives, doctors, nurses, uh, healers, sexual uh, sex educators, interviewing them and get, disseminating this knowledge, broadcasting it globally, virtually, so that um, helping and health professionals can access a different conversation around sexuality. And the general public can also be informed and empowered around what's out there, what's possible, that we don't have to just stick with what we have on hand and the prevailing current model for health, but to know that there are other options and to take take sexuality out of the shadows and to bring it into the conversation on health and, and uh, well-being. So that is, every day I'm just consumed with utter excitement about this project it, um, everyone I've talked to about it has come on board. I've gotten already 16 amazing experts on board, two investors, um, a, a, an umbrella organization, and many other interested people. So it's definitely going somewhere, and um, I see huge potential for there to be transformation and, um, yeah, some awakening happening through this project. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to listen to it, and that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to promote the heck out of it. It sounds amazing. (laughs) So what's the number one practical self-care action you do for yourself every day? The number one, I mean, the action varies depending on what my body is telling me. So it's, it, it could be, it could look like eating a really, you know, healthy meal. It could look like stopping and stretching my body. It could look like taking time to laugh. (laughs) Um, So I wouldn't say that I have one set practice other than what I do have my morning practice, which I already talked about, but it's really stems from just listening to my body. Nice. 
What do you have a beauty ritual that's your favorite? That's something that makes you feel really connected to your feminine energy. I I love makeup. I love um, face products that are natural, like botanical based um, cleansers and and clay masks. And so when I do my medicinal baths, I'll often do a mask and um, and if I'm going out that night, I mean. I just glow, you know, I'm like this bath, baths are just amazing what they can do for your skin and, um, replenish the, also the organs of your body because the essential oils really go right into your bloodstream from the water. So I'll do, you know, I'll apply makeup and I, for me, makeup is a sacred art. It's, it's not putting cosmetics to try to hide myself. It's enhancing and actually transmitting this inner beauty that the sexual energy gets a chance to really play when through, through the makeup and yeah, I mean to make, to me, makeup is just, it's an art form. It's a, um, it can be a very powerful way to open up sexual energy for a woman who's doing it with that intention. And it's, it's, uh, I was even, I even learned a makeup ritual that used to be done by priestesses and temples. So if you look at ancient Egyptian art, um, you know, they have those Lumerian eyes and they use ritual makeup during ceremony to evoke the goddess, to evoke the gods and the goddesses and to play out this sort of sacred theater and to be larger than life. And I feel like I love playing in that realm and whenever I have done that in theater or dance or performance of other kinds, it's, it's very, it's very powerful and, um, and erotic and fun. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that perspective on makeup. That's super cool. So now getting into food a little bit, what are some of your favorite foods in general and for healthy sexuality and hormones and femininity? Um, well, I've, about a year ago, I would say, or two years ago, I got really into kale, and I, I prepare it in a specific way. And now that it's getting colder, I don't recommend doing, like, raw kale. But um, the way that I love kale is to massage olive oil into the kale leaves. And to add citrus, it kind of breaks down the cellulose of the leaves and makes it more digestible. And then I add avocado and salt and other vegetables if I want, but just that basic, that's like a staple of my diet. Pretty much every day I'll have a kale salad or every other day. Um, I like, I, I don't have any set rules. Like I'm not a vegan or vegetarian even. I, I really listen to my body. Um, what everything in moderation for me. So I love fish. I love, um, I eat eggs almost every day. I'll eat oats. Um, I've gotten away from um, I've gotten away from gluten and wheat for the most part. Not because I'm celiac, but just I do feel better when I don't eat when I avoid gluten. Um, <clears throat> and I tend to eat a lot of grains and. Um, I, I love everything in moderation. I think that's really a feminine approach and really speaks to, you know, a lot of my work and the fact that we can get so wrapped up to, into the 
health and wellness world and the rigidity of it and get caught up in the labels of vegan or paleo or gluten-free or whatever. But I think really it's just about listening to your body and what your body truly needs and getting honest about that. So I like your perspective there for sure. Um, yeah. And one, one more thing I'll say about it too is like variety, I think is yeah. very, um, it's also a feminine, uh, something feminine about variety in diet. Like I, I used to live with my father when I was in my twenties. I hadn't, I didn't grow up with my father and then I stayed with him for a while when I was in my twenties and I remember he, he eats the same thing every day. Like he'll have lentils and rice and salad. And he'll just cook the same thing over and over and over. And as healthy as that is, it was like, but this is boring. You know, <laughs> like a lot more variety. And um, I think there's something about really experiencing the sensation of the flavor that that is a very feminine. It is connected to the second chakra, actually. The scent, the 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 sense of taste is associated with second chakra and sexual energy. So savoring the flavor is, um, for me, like a neurotic art, actually. It's a form of, of um, the sacred feminine aspect. Nice. nice. So with, with food, do you have a staple go-to breakfast? Do you eat the same thing for breakfast occasionally, or what types of things do you like to have in the morning? Well, one of my favorite things is uh, a like oats, raw oats with um, a high quality yogurt, like a raw yogurt or goat yogurt. Um, because I love, pro- I think probiotics are really good. And I, I'll add like pumpkin seeds and walnuts, cinnamon and um, goji berries, just like lots of little things to the, to the oats um, or add almond milk to it. And, um, other things like shatavari powder, which is a an Ayurvedic herb for balancing hormones for women, Ashoka powder, um, hawthorn berry powder. So it just becomes almost a medicinal breakfast. Nice. Well, <laughs> um, it sounds delicious, and you're, all this talk about food's making me hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, what if you could have a superhero power for a day? What would it be? Probably flight. I, I know that's probably really stereotypical, but I I just the the idea of flying has always really appealed to me. Yeah, that'd definitely be super cool. So now I have one final question for you. And as you know, the name of my blog and the name of this podcast is the Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Anita, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? Um, it's, it sounds very whimsical, actually. I think of like playfulness and, um, people just enjoying being almost like childlike. It it sort of has this very childlike, um, like children in a playground where they're just being natural. There's, you know, the posture, they're not thinking about their posture. They're just running around in a way that is good for their body, you know? They're um, they're laughing. They're playing. That's what it evokes for me. Is is like I don't know why, but that's that's why. I, what's what I think of is um, being at play. I yeah. love that. Well, I think being <laughs> at play is a wonderful, wonderful state to be in, and definitely is something that I want to invoke in Wonderland. So, thank you so much for everything that you shared. I know that the listeners got 
a lot of value from this conversation, and I know that they're going to want to hang out with you online even more, So, and maybe in person. So I will have the links below to everything that you're up to when this comes out, and thank you so much for everything you shared. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful. Really enjoyed it. Amazing. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me, at Katie Jailbout, and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation. And like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook, so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.